Week one, here we go. Here we go. Thank you so much, Jamaica. I'm so excited to see you once again online. And Easter Sunday last weekend was incredible. We actually had our first in-person gathering with the builders in 58 weeks. And it was unbelievable. I'm still on a high. So don't bring me down. Put a high five in the chat. Say, don't bring Pastor down. He's still on a high. Don't bring me down. We still need the energy online. Uh, and, but it's, it's awesome what God is doing in our church and how much our church has grown. Our online community uh, stands around somewhere in between, you know, we don't really know, but 3,000 to 4,000 people every weekend. So obviously I can't, you know, blast on Instagram and say we're we're, we're, we're open, all 4,000 of you come on down. And so we have opened this to uh, the builders. It helps us create a safe and powerful environment. And so please listen to Pastor Nelson and sign up to be a builder. And we can't wait to see how God will, will use you in this next season. And this series that we're doing on foundations is so important uh, because we're rebuilding in strength. That is our vision for 2021. And when I talk about rebuilding, I'm not just talking about, you know, uh, we're going to rebuild the church. A lot of times when pastors talk about it, we talk through context. Every Revelation is actually received through context. And so I want to make sure that as a pastor, I don't create every single context of everything I talk about is just church. The church, the church, the church, the church. The church is the people. And so when I talk about rebuilding in strength, I'm not talking about just the church. I'm talking about your family. I'm talking about your jobs. I'm talking about your dreams. I'm talking about your relationships. How many people lost track of that person you were seeing every week before the pandemic and now it's been like months and you're almost too exhausted to figure out what it looks like to rebuild that relationship? I'm not talking about just church. I'm talking about rebuilding our lives with the grace of God. And so this series is making sure we have a proper foundation. Now, I wanna warn you that uh, my wife and I drive through neighborhoods all the time that we dream to live in one day. And we used to drive through Toluca Lake and for some reason it switched to Burbank and I have decided that Burbank is God's country. It just is. It just is. Like God lives in Burbank. There is an Ikea. There's my favorite pizza place. There's multiple pizza places. My favorite golf course is in Burbank. Burbank, I believe when Christ returns, he's coming straight to Burbank. Somebody shout. I think the Bible says Jerusalem, but whatever. I made that up. Um, but we drive through these neighborhoods and I notice that every neighborhood we cho choose to drive through and dream about is already completed. Like someone already built the house. It already looks perfect. One thing my wife and I have never, ever done is drive through a neighborhood that is under construction. We don't drive through the neighborhood that they're laying the concrete down and the, the wood pillars are going up. We, we don't have the capacity to dream on a drive through through something that's under construction. We actually have to wait till it's done because the completed work sparks the dream. And I want to encourage you, that is not the way the kingdom works. We have to be able to be a church under construction. You have to be a life under construction. There might be a dream under construction and you have to see a picture of what God has for you. It's under construction. It's just building the foundation. But can you dream? Matter of fact, Ze uh, Zechariah uh, chapter uh, four, uh, verse six Zerubbabel was building the foundation and, and the Bible said that God told him, do not despise the day of small beginnings for the Lord rejoices when the work 
begins. And I'm telling you, Oasis Church, we are just getting started. Come on now. I feel like preaching, man. I feel like preaching up in here. If you hear some claps, there's about 17 and a half people in this room. And it's amazing to see some faces. And I can't wait to see all of you. And so our vision is rebuilding in strength. I want to read uh, a passage of scripture from the book of Acts. So each week in this series of foundation, we're going to be unpacking what we believe. I think so much as a church, we know where we're going, but we don't know what we believe. And when we don't know what we believe, but we know where we're going, favor, blessing, all the great stuff, I get it. But when we know where we're going, but we don't know what we believe, it slows us down. It makes what would be a straight path uh, not straight, crooked. It, it is. It just. It makes you wander around in the wilderness. It's a scary thought to believe that God's people uh, were in the wilderness for forty years when originally it was an eight-day journey to the promised land. So what was supposed to take eight days took forty years. And if there's one thing I want to do for you as your pastor is that it wouldn't take as much time as it took me to follow Jesus to all that he had for me. So this is what this is about. So this week, we're going to be talking about a major foundation, salvation. Salvation. Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 30, tells the story of Paul and Silas in prison. And it starts this way. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination um that's i don't really have time to get into that but she was into some stuff you know if this would have like 20 if this was 2021 she probably would try to read your palm tarot cards you know all that stuff you know maybe throw you a crystal and tell you if you take a bath with the crystal by the crystal the energy and the light and the moon uh, you know that stuff divination that's what that is very dangerous by the way you got a crystal in your house maybe not you know just Christ is enough. I won't get into your crystals too much. Somebody's like, you talking about my crystal collection? Like, Pastor, you better not talk about my crystal collection. And somebody on staff just said, I got, I got a crystal collection. I'm just playing. <laughs> no, no one has a crystal co- collection in here. We believe in Jesus. <laughs> Says that she had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus. I don't know why I'm laughing because the demon's getting cast out of somebody. I think I'm laughing because he literally cast a demon out of person out of annoyance. You imagine that's how much authority we have in Christ Jesus. He was no fear. He wasn't afraid. He was annoyed. Oh, this demon is driving me crazy. Come out in the name of Jesus. You know, it's just like, oh, shoot. He's just annoyed, not afraid, not perplexed, not confused, not weirded out, annoyed. And I think that when we have like things in our life like that, I I want us to not be afraid of the devil, like annoying. It's kind of like he treated a demon like it was a gnat. He treated a demon like it was a fly. It was just annoying, and he cast a demon out of a person. I'm just so amazed. Paul is savage. And he said, I command you to come out in the name of Jesus Christ. And it came out that very hour, not in an hour. In the Bible, that means it came out in that minute. But when the owner saw that their hope of gain was gone, they were making money off of her bondage. I want to tell you something. Bondage is profitable. 
We, we profit off of people in bondage, people in bondage to sex and drugs, and we profit off of it. People in bondage are profitable. God never once gave anyone medicine. He only healed them. It's keeping people sick, keeping people broken, keeping people in fear. I remember I worked in a marketing company once, and they said that fear was the best way to sell anything. And they, they were training us to sell. And they said, if you can make someone afraid, you can get them to do what you want them to do. Exhibit A. And they showed us a Goodyear tire commercial. And a man is driving an SUV uh, uh, in his car. He's driving an SUV. All of a sudden, eight-year-old little girl pulls up in front of his car, pulls out in front of his car. He slams on his brake. You hear the screech of the tires. And the screen goes dark. Do you have Goodyear? Oh, shoot. If I don't have Goodyear tires, I'm going to run over an eight-year-old. Let me head down to my nearest tire shop and buy tires. They said subliminally, if you can put fear in someone, you can control them. It's true. Like, this is not like me just making this up. They, it was a class. They taught us how to control people with fear. And so this is what this is, is about. People have money to gain when you're afraid. And it says they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds, their chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped but Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas and then he brought them out and asked the most important question in all of humanity. I know you have questions about your family. I know you have questions about your finances. I know you have questions about your destiny and your future. But this man asked the most important question in all of humanity. He simply asked, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? So I'm going to preach a message to you this morning titled, what must I do to be saved? That's all I can think of. Like, I just, nothing came to me. I was trying to think of something more creative than that. Uh, that was my unveiling. It's all I got. You know, when uh, years ago in my younger days, before I got all these gray hairs, I worked for a clothing store. I've always been in the fashion. So working for a clothing store was like a dream. You know, I didn't have many dreams growing up. I wasn't that kid. I was the kid who wanted to be the thing that I went to all the time. I want to be a cashier because like I always went to the grocery store. 
Like I didn't have any drink, like wherever I went, I want to do that, you know? So my parents take me to the mall. I want to work for a clothing store. I wanted to run a clothing store. And, you know, fashion right now, it's like, it's weird because it's expensive, but it's almost like back then the stuff that we bought growing up looked really nice. Now you spend a hundred dollars to look homeless. It's the stuff has holes in it. It's like all, it's crazy. Like you look like you came out from under a bridge, but no, you just got back from Nordstrom's. It's kind of weird. Like it's crazy. So back then it was like in an era where we dressed up, we still smiled when we danced. Like it was just an amazing time, like fat farm and a Nietzsche and Peli Pell and remember lugs. Like it was amazing. Like it was just such a good time. So I got the chance to work in this clothing store and it was my dream clothing store. The, the clothing store, if you're into retail was when I got the job as the manager, it was the 20th store in the nation. And I through sales got it down to the number one store in the nation. Somebody put in the chat number one. It was amazing. And so then we had this thing, if you're in retail, you guys, I'm about to trigger you, but we had this thing called at retail uh, inventory. See, the people who worked in retail, they got triggered. They got triggered. So we had this thing in retail called inventory and you basically were taking an inventory and, and the inventory was, you're supposed to make sure you have what you're supposed to have. And whatever the number or the percentage of what you don't have is called shrink. Let me just break this down to you. Let's say they send you a million dollars in clothing and you sell half a million of it. Half a million dollars worth of clothing should be left over. If for some reason, a hundred thousand dollars worth of clothing is missing out of the million you were allotted, you have 10% shrink and you're probably going to lose your job. They actually in the retail, they account for small percentages of shrink, typically uh, uh, under 2%. 2%, you start getting reports and write-ups. Nelson, am I right? Under 1% would be considered a blessing. And so 0.6, Nelson is bragging about his shrink. Well, <laughs> he hasn't worked there in three years. That's how, that's how indoctrined you are with this stuff. So uh, back, rewinding back to my story about being a manager of this clothing store. I'm sitting down at the number one clothing store in the nation. It is amazing. I'm, I'm getting paid well. I'm 22. It's awesome. And he sit down with me after the shrink and he says, Julian, we have a problem. What problem could we possibly have at the number one store in the nation? Did you not see the report? Oh, you didn't bring the report? Number one store in the nation. I have it all. I'm making good money. I'm 22, got an apartment, got a car. He said, yeah, but a lot's missing. I said, what do you mean a lot's missing? He said, your shrink is 10%. And I said, well, gosh, gar done it garly. I just didn't even know what to say. Like, it's turned into like a middle-aged white guy. Well, oh my God, gosh, golly. It's like so nervous because I was counting on the, everything was going well. And I said, okay, so let me just tell you, his name was Brett. Brett, I got it. I'm just going to make sure that someone's on the securities. I'm going to make sure that, you know, we're watching the customers. I'm just going to tighten everything up. Give me another chance. And he goes, oh, see, 10% is not an outside problem. 10% is an inside problem. When there's that much missing, it's 
on the inside. There's somebody, something's happening on the inside. And if we're not careful, we live in a world where we know in our souls so much is missing. And then we just go, I'll just take care of something on the outside. I'll get a better job. I'll, I'll break up with, leave my wife. I'll get a better person. And, and, and when that much is missing, it's always an inside job. So if we're going to understand salvation, salvation doesn't save us from the outside from the things going on in the world, from the politics, from the injustice, from the things that bother us so much, from not having enough money. Salvation doesn't save us from the inside. When you get to the point where you need to be saved, when you need to be rescued, you are being saved from the inside. Put in the chat, it's an inside job. Inside job, it's an inside job. Oh, that would have been a good message title, dang! Come on! So angry. What must I do to be saved? The inside job. It was a movie and everything. You got to understand this. God has called us to be image bearers. Image bearers. And even when... The Pharisees asked Jesus, should they pay taxes to Caesar with their money? Jesus asked, well, whose image is on the coin? And they said, Caesar. And he said, well, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Because Caesar's image was on the coin, the coin belonged to Caesar. And what he's trying to explain, because I've made you in my image, you belong to me. And when you don't live like you belong to me, it creates a deficit, a shrinkage, and it's an inside job. Oh, I'm preaching. It must be these lights, man. Jeez, these effervescent, luminous lights making me feel anointed. It's an inside job. And so we get outside of our design and it creates sin and we need to be saved from ourselves. You have to understand this because as little kids, if you ever went to a Christian preschool, they tell you Jesus died for you. He died for you. And that is true, but it's half the truth. Yes, Jesus died for you, but he also died because of you. He died for you because he loves you but he died because of you because you didn't love God back. Think about this. Think about this. He had to die in our place. And this is just crazy what sin does to the human soul. Ephesians 4.19 says this, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality. And you know what that word sensitivity, they've lost all sensitivity. You know what that word means in the original Greek language is it means that you have, you no longer feel pain. You no longer feel spiritual pain. So then now you only feel the pain caused by people. You only feel pain people cause you. When you've lost all sensitivity, you only feel pain people cause you. You are no longer able to feel pain that you cause God. 
Oh, jeez. You ever been accused someone of being sensitive? I'm not, they've lost all sensitivity. That means, that means that they're sensitive to how people have hurt them and how people have grieved them, but they're not sensitive to how they're grieving God. So they're not able to say what I just did grieves God. And the law is what I just did is wrong. And this is not about right or wrong. Sensitivity is, wait a minute. When I answered that um, at 1 a.m., uh, I can't say that word, uh, gluteus maximus call. That, don't make me laugh. It's a serious point. Don't make me laugh. That grieves God. It, don't worry about right and wrong. It is when you did it, the sensitivity's got to kick in. Say, oh, Lord, you were so grieved. I don't want to hurt my father. See, the, the Bible was a much easier thing to follow in olden days because it was considered the worst thing to bring shame or dishonor on your dad. And so you know what the enemy did? I got to strip communities of the father's. So then now there's no precedence for shame. Matter of fact, in the book of Hebrews, it says, who has ever heard of someone not disciplined by their father? That's what the writer of Hebrews said. No one's ever heard of someone who didn't have a dad. And the enemy said, this is not working. People are too sensitive to God's presence. People are too sensitive to God's word. I have to strip what lays the foundation for sensitivity to the heavenly fathers by creating a society with insensitive earthly fathers. And that way, they won't be able to connect and be sensitive. Because as a child, we are trained, I want to do a lot. That's wrong. But I don't want to disappoint my dad. So I'm not going to do it. You know how many decisions I didn't make because my dad would be disappointed? Without my dad, I would have done it. But my dad would be disappointed. I was sensitive to the grief that I would bring my father until I could be educated with the wisdom that I could bring into my life. See, before you can live in wisdom, you got to be sensitive that this would grieve. Children are sensitive to what grieves their parents. Come on, parents. Our kids hate when we're upset. If they're grieved, our kids cry with us. Mommy, are you okay? Like, it's just like, they do not want their parents to be grieved in any way. Having lost all sensitivity, I've ceased to feel spiritual pain. This is, this is profoundly important that we understand that this immediately puts us in need of a savior. And I think so many times we think the enemy attacks us with lies, which he does, shame, which he does, guilt, which he does. But sometimes you are drowning in your sin and you need to be saved. And, G and the devil attacks you with this simple word, swim. God won't save you, swim. Nobody's coming, swim. Nobody's going to help you swim. Just start swimming and you might make it. And then when you're going under and you're drowning, he then says, look, God doesn't care. 
I have come to find in my life that God never shows up for swimmers, only sinkers. <sighs> this is my vintage stuff, Lord. The only thing wrong with this message is the title. Oh my gosh, he just rarely shows up for swimmers, man. I have never met God in my swimming, only in my sinking. Never met him. He's never shown up for me when I'm like, <laughs> never. He's not in it. He waits until my shoulders are burning and I can't feel my forearms and I'm beginning to sink. And he shows up. You know, I think the passage of Peter walking on water is one of the worst preached passages ever because we always make the point about keeping your eyes on Jesus, but we don't make the sinking the point. We don't under, Peter stepped out of the boat, walked on water. No other human has done that ever. I've tried. It doesn't work. No other human's done that. And the Bible says when he saw the wind and the waves, he began to sink. See, that's why you got to keep your eyes on Jesus. But we don't continue the story that says, then Jesus walked over to him and grabbed him by the hand, and they both walked back to the boat. Jesus met him in the sinking, and they walked back to the boat. How did they get back to the boat? They walked. See, the first three steps, he was learning to focus. The last three steps, he learned that he couldn't. It wasn't about the walking on water. Because that whole story starts with, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you. He didn't believe he could walk on water. He believed if Jesus said he could do it. And they begin to sink. And what I'm inspired by in that verse, and I will preach it different forever, is I'm inspired that Peter didn't start swimming. He was willing to sink and wait on Jesus. So if you're sinking, the most dangerous thing to do is to start swimming. Because it is the swimming that pushes you away from your Savior. The striving and the stress, and I got to figure out how to get God to like me because I'm so used to getting people to like me. I think that God, and I'm going to use a college word called anthropomorphic. <sighs> that two weeks at community college paid off for your boy. Anthropomorphic. Anthropomorphic, when we make God anthropomorphic, it means that we try to give God human qualities instead of holy qualities. So we relate to God how we relate to humans. God wouldn't want me to be happy, right? No, God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be holy. Humans want us to be happy. God wants you to be holy because God knows if you're holy, you'll end up happy. So we make God anthropomorphic we we relate him more to a human and he's not a human he says i'm not a man that i would lie i'm not like you i love you and the reason why i love you is so powerful is because i love you and i'm nothing like you we love who we like god doesn't like us he loves us you see the difference you're not oh i got i'm gonna run out of time this is just like Lord, help me. I have too many scriptures. But 
we make God anthropomorphic. So we, we, we make him more human so we can relate because we're not curious enough. We're not, we don't have enough faith to understand that this is a mystery. So even as you watch this, the, the Bible calls the gospel profound mystery. Hey, I want you to know that the Bible says angels ask questions about salvation. So if Michael the archangel has a question, you probably will too. And we don't do anything without getting all our questions answered. Like, that's faith. Doing things with unanswered questions. Loving people and it doesn't make sense. They can't answer all the questions. You can't check all the boxes. And I really believe it's important we understand that we put ourselves in a situation that required salvation. And so God, instead of allowing you to, now here's the thing. Can you imagine you're in that water and you're drowning? And the reason why you got in that water because you're drowning is because someone told you it, the waves are really choppy. The current is really strong. Don't go out there because if you go out there, you're going to die. And then you do it anyway. And now that person who told you not to go out there, you yell to them, help. What person who told you not to go out there would be willing to die to go get you? Jesus. Oh, that makes me want to cry. Don't cry. You already have a bad message title. Please don't cry. The Clippers are going to win the championship. Okay, good. I'm back. What, what kind of person? I think, I think we, we do a disservice to people when we say salvation is the fact that Jesus died for us. No, it is the unbelievable, disgusting condition of humanity. And Jesus said, yep, them. Because if we think we're good, then we think, yeah, I'm worth it. But you wouldn't go out there after telling that person not to go in that water. You know what you'd be? You know what you would yell? The same thing the church is always yelling when they don't understand salvation. They yell, swim! Get water baptized, come to Grove Trek, come to the event, come to the conference, swim! Do the Bible study, pray the prayer, swim! Change your life, swim! And we think we're preaching the gospel, but what we're really doing is yelling, swim! Because you have people that are in the connect groups and, in the, and all that stuff is great. But if you ask them, are you saved? They might say, I don't know. I don't know. What has Jesus done for your life? I don't know. What about Pastor Julian? Oh, that guy. Okay, he's amazing. Man, he can preach. He's changed my life. And I'm like, I'm not a savior. I would not shed my blood for you. I would not come in the water and come get you if I told you not to get in the water and I'm your pastor. And part of the reason is that I don't want to die for you. And the other reason is I'm black. I'm not a strong swimmer. Chase, somebody's drowning. Get in the water. Yeah, you with the white stuff, with the zinc on your nose. Go get him. What are you doing? You have never seen a black man with zinc on his nose. Am I lying? 
We're not cut out. That's not what we do. <laughs> I just took up so much time doing that. Dang. Let's skip some notes. I think that if we don't understand the depravity of the human condition, we will not understand the gravity of God's love. We won't. We won't. There's this belief called um, theological liberalism, which basically means theological liberalism, which basically means that all humans are inherently good. We just have to discover the good things that we are inherently good at and get better at them over time. Be the best version of yourself. And so then you can't receive God's love when you think that because you'll always swim. And every other religion, everyone, look them all up. Every other religion is not about what God has done. It's not about what Jesus has done. Every other religion is turning sinkers into swimmers. Everyone, except for Christianity. Christianity touts that Christ saved us. Christ came out there when he told us not to do it. And we did it. And he rescued us. And that's why for the rest of our lives. Can you imagine seeing that lifeguard that was willing to do that after he told you not to go in the water? I mean, the first thing you would do was tell somebody about this person. I mean, it would be the first thing you would do. And can you imagine all that person wants you to do in return is not go back out there in the water? Like, all that person wants you to do is tell someone that you don't go back in the water, but you tell everybody else on the beach in case you don't listen to him, he will come get you. And what we tell people is, don't go out in the water. It's dangerous. And we make it about the water, not the Savior. We tell people all the rules and tell people what to do and what not to do and don't do this and don't have sex before marriage and all that stuff will destroy your life. I barely have recovered from someone that I dated that was the wrong person. I'm just, I'm 44 and I'm just, the last 10 years of my life have been recovery from those poor decisions. But how... How crazy would it be for me to get up here and tell you every week, don't date the wrong person, don't date the wrong person. No, 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 let me tell you when I was drowning in my own decisions and when my swimming failed me, let me tell you about a savior. And I understand why we don't because the temptation for that person that is swimming is to tell the whole beach about the water. So dangerous out there, I almost died. Don't do it. What God is asking us to do is to tell people about the Savior, not the water. Because guess what? The whole point is, even if you didn't get in the water, you still need a Savior. The water is always waiting. Might not be at that place, but it's waiting. So we got to tell people about the Savior. This is what salvation does. And so I'm going to skip these 50,000 passages of scriptures that I had was going to read. And I'm going to go back quite briefly, if I might add, because my time is almost up. As a matter of fact, it is up, but I'm going to keep going because that's what I do. 
God is eternal. Like, we don't submit to a normal time. Uh, Acts chapter 16, verse 25, says about midnight. You know Paul and them were saved because they had a song at midnight. Oh, my God. Can you? I want to give you the visual. You've done nothing wrong. This is what salvation does. If you are saved, let me tell you something. You can still make a mistake and still commit some sins while you're saved. Salvation is not about being perfect. But one thing I will tell you, I know a difference between a saved person. Paul was saved. Paul makes me think I'm not even sure if I'm saved. And I'm preaching and and I read this verse and I'm not sure if I'm saved because we live in a world where there's so much injustice and Paul was experiencing injustice. This world is filled with injustice. Paul, he didn't do anything wrong. And they put him in prison stocks. And those prison stocks are those things you put your feet in and your arms in and all the injustice that is in America that we're willing to fight. You know, we don't get paid enough in gender equality and pay equality and racial equality. We don't get paid enough injustice, injustice, injustice. We got to do something about injustice. And here's Paul in his injustice in, in, in prison stocks he doesn't deserve to be in. And he's in there in that moment and he simply goes... Lord, we love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. And Silas goes, what are you doing? That's not Hillsong. (laughs) I got to go back in. (laughs) Don't make me laugh. (laughs) Because that joke will keep going. Silas goes, what are you doing? worshiping but there's injustice yeah but we're saved so we worship no matter what jesus we love you oh how we love you trying to get a crick out of his name you are the one our heart and then silas finally joins in jesus we love you and the prisoners are like what is going on well, I'll tell you what's going on. They're saved. And saved people always have a song to sing. Oh, my God. And it says when they were singing, the prison was shaken to its foundations. So here is what salvation does. It creates a foundation for a life with God but it also shakes prisons down to their foundations. And I want to tell you today, if you would accept Christ into your life and stop swimming and say, I repent for all the things I've done, God would shake your prison down to its foundations. He would. He would. He says they were worshiping. And here's what's crazy. The Bible says the chains fell off of them and and not just the worshipers, the listeners. If you would be willing as a saved person to worship God in your midnight season, someone next to you who's not even worshiping, they're just listening, their chains will fall off too. That's what saved people do. And the Bible says that the prisoner or the jailer went to kill himself. 
because during that time he would have been executed for letting the prisoners escape. And Paul said, we're all here. Don't kill yourself. Wait, what? So a saved person can be put somewhere forcefully, but because they're saved, they could leave, but they want someone to be saved so bad, now they want to be there willingly. You could put me here forcefully. I didn't want to be in this job. I didn't want to be in this marriage. I didn't want to be in this family where my dad left and my mom did. I didn't want to be in this situation. I didn't want my finances. I've been forced into it, but now that I've been saved in the situation I've been forced to, now I'll be here willingly to see how God can use me. Can God find you in the darkest place and you say, we're all here. Can God find you in your deepest pain and you can shout, we're all here. Can God find you in the place you don't want to be and you just say, we're all here. God can use us to get someone saved. And the Bible says that the jailer, the person who was in the reason that he was in jail, fell down and said, what must can I, what must I do to be saved? What must I do? to be saved he saw somebody worshiping in a midnight season and said I want to be saved it's time to stop swimming and what I'm hoping for you right now as you understand that simply and I might have to do a part two but I feel so led to tell somebody for you salvation is to simply stop the swimming stop trying to get to God on your own Stop trying to get to destiny on your own. Stop trying to get to what you think you're supposed to do on your own. You're drowning. You're sinking. And the devil wants to turn you into a swimmer instead of a saint. Swimmers never become saints. The Bible says when we believe we're called saints, that means that God views you like you never sunk. Wow. The end of this story of salvation is that God gives us the free gift of righteousness. He views us like we're perfect. So I want to tell you that to use the swimming analogy, can you imagine the lifeguard who you didn't listen to that had to save you then now stands you up next to him and says, you're awesome. You're amazing. You're a great swimmer. No, I'm not. I was sinking. Yes, you are. You are who I say you are. Oh, my God. This is the good news. And if we don't understand salvation, we'll always be swimming. I'm going to pray for somebody right now who's been swimming. Swimming in your shame. Swimming in your guilt. Swimming trying to get to God. And God is saying, don't swim be saved. Believe that I died for your sins. I have mercy for you. I have grace for you. I have love for you and I have truth for you. I want you to be saved. The Bible says that God desires for all of humanity to be saved. So there's someone right now and I don't want to overspeak, but I've never seen God save a swimmer, just a sinker, someone who's at the end of their rope someone who has no more strength left. 
someone who is relying on drugs and alcohol, relying on fame and fortune and money in their career. And God says, are you sinking? Let me save you. So Father, for every swimmer out there, where they humble themselves, repent of their sins, and turn to the Lord. Because at the end of the day, what is more profound about this story, when the jailer said, what must I do to be saved? Peter simply answered, believe. And you and your whole household will be saved. So Father, I pray that someone's praying that prayer. I believe that Jesus died for my sins and I want to be forgiven. I repent and I believe. And someone's praying that prayer. And if you prayed that prayer, put in the chat, I prayed that prayer. I'm saved. And all I want to say to you is congratulations. Congratulations. You're saved. Look how simple that is. We're engaged in this moment of worship and can't wait to see you next week for the next installment of Foundations. Love you, church. See you soon.